Good morning. All right, so let's get honest. How many of y'all got woke up at 4.30 this morning? Your initial thoughts, I'm being transparent. It's screaming in my ear because Tammy's phone is on the bed. And I'm thinking, that's God. It's rapture. Do I hook my arm on Tammy and bring her or do I leave her? I'm not answering that question. We'll never know. And then I thought, why is that telling me that I got 36 hours to prepare for something at 4.30 in the morning? Why not wait till 6 and give me 33 hours to prepare, you know? Why 4.30? But anyway, I don't have no control over that stuff. But I am excited to be here today. Live Oak has had an incredible week again. We baptized last Sunday. If you see there's water in there, we're baptizing again in 10.30 service today. Um, Mr. Stephen Spalding. Um, has been attending with us for about a year, and last Sunday he called me after service and said, I need to be obedient in baptism, so we're baptizing him at 1030. And then um, Wednesday night, we voted to form a new um, support staff position here, and so we formed a, a media and technology coordinator. And so everybody turn around and wave at Caleb Morgan. Caleb Morgan is our newest um, support staff member that um, we're going to work to death. Because before I'd feel a little guilty because he wasn't paid. Now that he's paid, I don't feel guilty no more. And so we have had an exciting week. You know, we, we're continuing on our journey of putting the pieces together. And what's that mean? And for three weeks, we talked about grace. And you know, and to be honest, whenever I started really praying through this sermon series and, was, and I knew all the pieces of the puzzle that I wanted to put together, and as I prayed through the order, I really think that we needed to understand what grace is before we can understand salvation. Because we have to understand what God did for us and why he did it for us to understand why we should accept him, you know, and follow through with the salvation. And so that's where we're starting a new, a new leg of this today, salvation. And what we're going to be talking about is um, about being rescued. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers 21, Numbers 21 and John 3, Numbers 21 and John 3. And as you're turning there, you know, the scripture we're going to read um, I, I won't lie to anybody. I'm scared to death of a snake. Poisonous, non-poisonous, rubber, real, it don't matter. I don't like snakes, and I will hurt you to get away from a snake. And so um, years ago, a long time ago, I was fishing with my grandpa up at Lake Concordia, and I was probably a sophomore, junior in high school. So I was older, you know. And you know how we got hung up? And he backed the back of the boat into a tree so that I could get the bait. And as soon as he backed under that limb, a water moccasin fell on that back deck of that ranger boat. And guess where Johnny went? Swimming. And my grandpa hollered, what are you doing? I said, there's a snake. He said, what am I going to do? Not my problem. I'm going to bank. (laughs) And so he got the snake out of the boat with his stick and come over and got me. And then several years later, I was judging field trials with my beagles. And was going through the woods and, you know, you had to run to keep up with the dogs. And so I was trotting pretty good trying to keep up with the dogs to judge them. And my feet got tangled up in some briars and I fell. Well, when I fell and I hit the ground, I heard something behind me and I looked and it was a um, moccasin, a stump-tailed moccasin. And he was called up about from here to there from me. In the back of my leg, I had on chaps and stuff, but the back of my leg is not as thick. And he's laying there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. He's going to eat my lunch. My heart's already beating 7,000 beats a minute because I'm hot and tired. 
And now I'm scared because of this snake. And I said, he's going to strike me and I'm going to die right here. And so, so I'm laying there. Well, I had a guy helping me judge that it was training. And so I hollered from, hey, hey, I need some help. And so he started running towards me. When he got about from here to Miss Allison, I said, whoa, whoa, there's a snake. I said, I need you to kill it. He turned around and run. I said, well, that didn't work out for me, did it? So finally, this God graced me and the snake crawled off the other direction. And I went up to the master of the hunt and I tore my judging card up. And I said, I'll never judge again. I'm tired of this. And uh, I hate snakes. So now we're going to read about what God did. Numbers 21, we'll start in verse 4. It said, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go to Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in a wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look up at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by the snake, they looked up at the um, bronze snake and they lived. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and I thank you for today, Father. And I just ask today that you show us our hearts, Father, and show us, Father, how we should be living for you. Father, show us what you've done for us exactly so that we can live. Father, we love you. In the Son's name I pray. Amen. You know, as you look at this, you know, the, the Israelite people are not a lot different than us. They was traveling. God was rescuing them. And they started complaining. They become fault finders. They was finding every little thing wrong. Now, we know people like that. Not you personally. I know that none of us in here are fault finders. But we know people that are fault finders, right? There are people that when they walk into a room, they find everything wrong. Everything they hear, they pick it apart and they get critical. Just like this morning, there's probably somebody that might show up today and try to find something wrong with our service. They're going to say, well, Brother Frank did the welcome too long, or our song selection didn't land, Donnie didn't pick good songs. We don't know what he was thinking. Why is Brother Johnny talking about being negative today? I'm not negative. Well, who's he even talking to? And so, you know, we know people like that, don't we? And that's where these people was at. The Israelites, they was going. God was moving them out of captivity, and they're going. And all of a sudden, they started complaining literally about the manna. You remember, God would rain manna down to them to feed them. Now, I'm just telling you, to Morgan House, that would be a relief. That's the biggest conversation that me, Tammy, and the girls have every day. What are we going to eat? I would love to know that there's manna sitting on that table, and we didn't have to spend 30 minutes deciding what we're going to eat that night. But that's where they was at. They were complaining, God, we're tired of this detestable food. We want meat. We want this. We want water. And so they was complaining. And finally, God just said, hmm, I'm going to fix you. And so he sent these venomous snakes. If you read some translations, it actually says fiery serpents. I don't know which one I would rather, baby dragons or snakes. But he sent them down there. And every time they got bit, they were dying. So then the people realized, hey, you know what? Maybe it wasn't so bad after all. 
And they went back to Moses and they said, Moses, we need you to pray for us. We need you to tell God we're sorry that we messed up. We need, we're, we apologize to you. We need these snakes to go away. We're dying. And so God give them an out. You know, and it don't sound like a lot, but he told Moses, he said, make this bronze snake and put it on a pole and walk around with this pole up in the air. Now, just because Moses had that pole and he had that bronze snake on that pole, that didn't automatically save the people. What did they have to do? They had to look up. They had to acknowledge it. And they had to look up at the snake. And then once they did, then God saved them. You know, and you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with us today? Well, when you turn over to John 3 with me, turn over to John 3. That was actually foretelling what we're going to read about now. John chapter 3. We're going to start in, um, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then can you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except one who come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted the snake up in the wilderness, and the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believed in him, believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so when you hear this, you see how Jesus brought it back to, the, to that staff with the serpent on it, with the snake on it, and he brought it back and he said, I'm going to be high and lifted up just like this. If you turn and you don't have to turn there, but in John 12 verse 31 it says, now is the time for judgment of the world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. And, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so right there, Jesus is going back to what he had already told his disciples and says, look, I'm going to be high and lifted up. I'm going to be that snake that's on that staff. I'm going to be on a cross. And people are going to have to look to me to be saved. You know, because what's he tell us? That he's the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when you start reading all of this and you start tying the Old Testament back to the New Testament and you see what John, what they're trying to tell us right here, 
See, because Jesus' crucifixion was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. When you start going back and you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it does just like this. You know, it comes together, it merges together. And so Jesus' death on the cross was a, fulfill, a fulfillment of what was said in the Old Testament. And so just like those Israelite people that they were complaining and they were murmuring and they was going around and they thought they had everything so bad, you know, and then when things got worse, then they realized, hey, I, I, I need to do something. God, we need you. How many times in our life do we do that? Let's get honest. How many times, you know, do, do we complain about things? I'll be honest. Right now, today, I was upset Friday because we had a conversation here a minute ago. They moved us to phase three, but at the same time, they said we had to keep six-foot social distancing. For Live Oak Baptist Church, that made no change because our building's our building. You know, we don't have extendable walls that we can move out like this. And for about 30 seconds, I complained to God in my head. I said, God, this is just driving me crazy. And then God reminded me, son, you're doing three services. You can still reach the people. It's about me. And he humbled me in that moment. You know, because it's easy for us to, to complain. We're natural complainers. We're naturally going to find fault with things. But we have to learn to look up. We have to learn to look to God and say, God, this makes no sense to me. God, I don't understand this. But you know what? You have a plan. And sometimes, think about this, when we're complaining, we're complaining against God's plan. Because God has a perfect plan. He has a perfect will for all of us. But yet we'll complain and do things that we shouldn't be doing. And so that's what's happening. And, you know, I, I run across this a couple of weeks ago. I was getting ready to go do a, a devotion for the volleyball team at the high school and the football team. And I run across this quote, and um, it really stuck with me. It said, athletes spend 95% of their time on practice and only 5% actually playing. Do you hear that? 95% of their time is getting ready for a game that they're only going to play 5%. But then it goes on, and it said, Christians, believers, spend 99% of their life living for the world and only 1% actually pursuing God. Let that sink in. Why do we naturally lean negative? Why do we naturally all of a sudden always see the bad? It's because we're only spending 1% of our time, they say on average, really pursuing God. And we spend 99% living like the world. Well, when we do that, we're going to act like the world, right? Because that's what we spend our most time investing in. But God's telling us, he says, look, I didn't send my son. You know, it says right here, it says, says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God give us an out. We don't have to go around with fiery serpents or with venomous snakes biting us. He sent his son to become the ultimate sacrifice for us. He sent his son to live and to die and to be resurrected so that we have hope. And so as we've talked about grace the last two or three weeks, and, you know, as we talked about, you know, grace is bigger than our brokenness, and grace is bigger than these things, and bigger than our circumstances. But how does it get bigger? We have to accept him. We have to be able to look and say, God, I need you to forgive me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I'm not living right. God, I know that I'm complaining about the manna that you're giving me. 
and I need you to become the Lord of my life. That's not an easy conversation sometimes. You know, because right there again, we have to go back to that word vulnerable. We have to make ourselves vulnerable. We have to make ourselves realize that we're not all that in a bag of potato chips. We have to say, all right, God, I need you. The Donnie, I will defend your set list today. I'm not complaining. I loved it. And I got all excited whenever I was up here listening to it because Donnie sends us out a month ahead on what, what's coming. And I'm just being honest. Days of Elijah, if you don't want to run around the room twice, then you need to come to the altar. Because that's an amazing song. The songs that we sang this morning, you know, but the one that we closed with, waiting here for you, you know, if faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectation. You're everything you've promised. Your faithfulness is true. We're desperate for your presence. All we need is you. Do we believe that? Did we come in with an expectation today to experience God? Did we walk through these doors? Did we get out of our car and walk in here and say, God, I'm expecting you to rock my world today. God, I'm expecting something from you because I know that you can move mountains if you want to. I know that you can do these things. But let's get honest because I was there for a long time. Sometimes we pull in that parking lot on Sunday morning and you get all in here with the kids it's just like whenever you watch a calf roping and they, they throw that rope and the cowboy jumps off the horse and he runs and picks the calf up and throws him on the ground, ties his leg and throws his hand up for time. Sometimes that's what Sunday mornings are like, isn't it? God, you can start. I have made my battle to get here now. But we're really not expecting him. What would our life be like if we said, all right, God, I know you're God. God, I know what you can do. And God, I'm expecting you today to do something. But it don't have to be Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when you're walking in your office or you're driving to work or you're walking in school, what if you walked in and said, God, I'm expecting you to do something today. God, I'm expecting you to show up in a big way. How different would our life be? But we have to start by putting the pieces together and understanding what he did for us and then accepting and say, you know something, God? I need you. I need you to rescue me. Just like when those snakes was biting those Israelites, God, I need you to rescue me. Because right now, my job is biting me. Right now, my family's biting me. Right now, my circumstances are biting me. And God, I need to be able to look at you and know that I'm going to be okay starts here. It starts here. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just to say that we love you. Father, and I thank you for today. And Father, just even right now, Father, just the, the bottom line is, Father, we have to look to you. And Father, that's a choice that we're making this morning. Father, when we walked in here today, Father, we're making a choice that we're going to hear from you or not hear from you. Father, we're going to make a choice that we're going to choose life in this world, we're going to choose to serve you. Father, this morning, I just ask you, show us our hearts in a way that we can only see from you. Father, you, Father, show us what we need to ask for forgiveness for us. Show us what we need to get rid of in our life. Father, for some of us, we need to start at the beginning in making you our Lord and Savior. Father, for some, we need to come back. 
Father, for some, we need to make Live Oak our home. Father, and there's others that need to walk in that baptistry like Mr. Stevens going to do at 1030 and be obedient. Father, right now, Father, I just ask that you just move. Father, show us our hearts. Father, I thank you for today. In your son's name I pray. Amen.